0: Dan and Patty, stand up, would you? Would you stand up? I remember last year we had the big 50th uh, wedding celebration. He said, well, it's not going to be as big this year. And I said, well, we're going to have another blowout at 100. He said, yeah, at 100. So, Congratulations. What a dear family. What a godly family. What an example of faithfulness, of God's faithfulness, and a love for a local church. Patty, for over 35 years, led our our girls' ministry here. She literally poured in and mentored dozens and dozens and dozens of young ladies the Word of God. And uh, Dan has served in just about every capacity. He was on the board of directors of this church. Dan did a lot of construction at the other facility, and he also helped us move in here. He's also served as a classroom teacher, an adult teacher, and they are just always been a friend to the pastor. So we, uh, we celebrate with you today. Thank you so very much. Um, uh, where's Stephen? Stephen uh, uh, Willis. Uh, come on up, would you, Stephen? Come on up. Uh, we've had over the last uh, several years, we've had several of our young men uh, either go off to the military or be deployed uh, in uh, to different places around the world. And uh, this week, Stephen is uh, being deployed for over a year. He's one of our faithful young men who serves in our ushering ministry, and. Uh, and we just love him. He's always here, always has a smile on his face. And uh, so we're going to pray for him right now. He won't be back home for over a year. So uh, uh, we just, we're going to miss you. And we're going to pray God's protection. Father, I thank you for young men who are, and women who are still willing to give their life to serve their country. To go to countries and the lands and to a people they've never met. And to put their life on the line so that we can have the freedom to worship. Now, I'm asking you. You knew this was going to happen before his deployment papers ever came through. You've made a way for him. Now, Lord, protect him. Let the angels of God encamp about him. Give him peace. Give him comfort. Give him assurance. Let him be a witness to everybody he comes in contact with. And give his family and his friends and his loved ones a comfort and a peace as he's gone. We are proud of him, and we thank you for him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for your service. Thank you. Thank you. I want to remind you uh, that the ministries of our church are only uh, possible because of your generosity to give. And they reminded me last Monday uh, that I forgot to say anything about the offering uh, last week and that the total showed it. So, uh, so uh, uh, I want to remind you that uh, we, we don't pass the bucket here yet. We're getting ready to start that up. Um, uh, in fact, we're getting ready to hold up people. Uh, so uh, if we have any more offerings like we did last week... Uh, in fact, I might rob a bank. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, but we do have buckets at all the exit doors. And uh, as the Lord leads you, uh, if this your church, you're receiving ministry, we encourage you to give. Also, we, you can give online here at Family Worship Center. And uh, so uh, uh, do we have that on the screen, the places we can give online? Uh, not, so uh, go to our website or you can text to give, and those of you who do that quite frequently, uh, be sure to, to remember to do that. Thank you so very much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. It's so good to see you here today. God bless you for coming. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 7. We will, uh, we're going to, I'm not going to promise we're going to finish this. Uh, But 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Uh, Thank God I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. On Sunday mornings, I've been teaching on the subject of the spirit of fear. Everybody say spirit of fear. Spirit of fear. I am sure most of you are thinking, uh, uh, the only thing I'm afraid of is I'm afraid the pastor's never going to get finished with this series on the spirit of fear. And I want this to be the last lesson. Uh, yet in the age of taking no personal responsibility for our actions, I will say that my prolonging this series is not my fault. If you would listen better, I could teach quicker, all right? (laughs) I've received numerous comments from people over the last several weeks who have told me they're normally not fearful people. Yet for the first time in their life, they are experiencing anxiety and panic that they can't put their finger on the cause of it. Others have told me repeatedly that in the natural, things are going pretty good for them and their family, but they are living now with a constant unrest and a nervousness which they've never experienced before. We're seeing it. We're reading it every week, the glaring statistics from mental health providers who are telling us of the tremendous uptick, the increase in treatments being required at this time due to emotional trauma and addictions that people are experiencing. See, there is a general unrest and anxiety. And it has been unleashed upon our world, and no country or group seems to be immune. And it's the spirit of fear. It didn't come from China. The virus seems to have come from China, but this spirit of fear didn't come from China. This spirit of fear came from the demons of hell. Now, the difference, and we've talked about this, but let me just review just for a second. The difference in healthy fear and the spirit of fear is this. A healthy fear, number one, a healthy fear serves as a warning signal for impending danger or a life-threatening situation and when a healthy fear comes on the scene it triggers number 2 the fight or flight response in our life it uh, the fight response causes us to defend ourselves against danger and the flight response warns us to flee a dangerous situation that's a healthy fear we all have that from time to time and that's a that's a that's a natural good thing to have but then there's an Unhealthy fear or the spirit of fear. And the spirit of fear, number three, the spirit of fear is a fear that is imagined and brings torment when evidence of danger is not real or factual. Did you hear me? The spirit of fear is a fear that is imagined and brings torment when the evidence of danger is not real or factual. It's not because something actually scared you or something is going to cause you to, or to create danger in your life. It's something that's imagined. It's something that makes no sense whatsoever. And yet it puts you in prison. That's the spirit of fear. Number four, the spirit of fear is not a momentary fright, such as a loud noise that scares you. That's not the spirit of fear. The spirit of fear uh, uh, is, is a demonic force that is paralyzing people with hopelessness and extreme panic. The medical community, we've learned this, have developed good medicines that treat the symptoms caused by fear. Many excellent drugs are uh, available to help people cope with panic attacks, anxiety, and, in the, and uh, emotional disorders. And we thank God for all of those medicines. Take that down, would you? Uh, there are also many excellent vaccines that, if taken properly, can shield us from the effects of what we're what were once life-threatening diseases. We talked about that last week. But as I've previously shared with you, what we are dealing with in our nation today is what the Bible calls the spirit of fear. The Bible f- informs us that it's not a natural thing, it's a spiritual challenge. And then the Bible teaches us about spiritual challenges and spiritual battles. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11 and 12. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11 and 12. Notice what Ephesians chapter 6, 11 and 12 says. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Now look at verse 12. This is important. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but against the rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. See, we, this is not a natural battle. The spirit of fear, coronavirus is natural battle. But the spirit of fear is not a natural battle. It's not a human battle. It's a spiritual battle. Look what it says. Turn over to Second Corinthians. How many brought you Bibles? Second Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. I want to read it in the the Living Bible. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 in the Living Bible. Notice what it says. It is true that I'm an ordinary, weak human being, but I don't use human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. These two passages that we've just read inform us that some battles we encounter in life are not natural or human battles. They are spiritual battles. And listen, when we engage in a spiritual battle, the victory cannot be won by using human or natural weapons. You can't just take a medicine and get rid of the spirit of fear. I wished it was that easy. You, can't, you can get rid of maybe the symptoms that that fear is causing to your body, but you can't get rid of the spirit of fear. And what happens is, as long as we're dealing with the symptoms and never deal with the root cause, then we will get addicted to the medication. Yeah. Come on. I want you to know God has given us some weapons that are powerful to bring down the root cause, which is the spirit of fear. When we are engaged in a spiritual battle, the victory cannot be achieved using human or natural weapons. We must use spiritual weapons to defeat spiritual enemies. And God has told us in his word that he's given us a vaccine for the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and sound mind. Now, I don't want to get bogged down in review. Here's my challenge. Being a teacher, I get bogged down in review. Uh, And I'll review everything and leave about two minutes to break new ground. Now, that's wonderful because i got something to preach next week. Uh, But you get tired of hearing it. And my wife says, won't you go and move to something else? So I, I, I always try to do what she asks me to do. I take that back. I always do what she tells me to do. So, so we, here's just a here's just a review. God's vaccine. What did you say? I love you. I love you too, God's. I've loved you for forty-five years. Now we've only been together for forty years, but see, I'm led by the Spirit, so I knew five years earlier. See, it took me five years to convince a Church of Christ girl to follow me. You know. Uh, when she heard me speak in tongues for the first time, she said, oh. Uh, God's vaccine for the spirit of fear, number one, is God's power. Well, God's not given the spirit of fear, but of power. Now, when we accepted Christ, when you and I, how many of you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Good. Well, I've got, I, you've, got, you've got the vaccine in you. When you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, the resurrected Jesus, the devil-defeating, death-destroying, and fear-forsaking power of God came to live on the inside of you. Well, I need somebody to lay hands on me. Well, that's wonderful. We'll lay hands on you. But I want you to know right now, you have the ingredient to overcome the spirit of fear when it attacks your life. You have the power of God. How do I know you have the power of God? Because Jesus lives on the inside of you, and in Jesus resides the power of God. Let me give you a scripture to prove it to you. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Turn over to Galatians chapter 2. Let's read it from the New Living Translation. Galatians chapter 2, verse number 20. Notice what the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit said this through Paul, and this is what he tells the Christians at Galatia. He says to them, My old self, everybody say old self. self. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Now notice this next phrase, but Christ lives in me. You know why you can overcome the spirit of fear? Because the death-destroying, devil-defeating, fear-forsaking power of God is on the inside of you. I know it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body. He says, so I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Now, Let me just take a little side road here and share this with you. There are three things that make us up as individuals. There's three things that make us up as unique individuals. Three things. Every one of us, there's three things that make us up. And I'm not talking about in the the natural. I'm talking about in the emotional and in the spiritual. There's three things that make us up. Number one, it's our identity. Your identity makes you who you are. Number two, it's your story. Your story makes you who you are. And number three, it's your purpose. There's three things that make us up and who we are. Our identity, our story, and our purpose. For example... When we meet someone new or an introduce ourselves for the first time, we usually relate about our story to confirm our identity. if i 'm eating lunch with Dr. Courtney and i 'll say and then somebody comes up, i 'll say, uh, "Have you met Dr. Mike Courtney?" He is the executive director and founder of branches. He is married to the, one of the best keyboard players i 've ever heard. He has three grandsons that are a lot better looking than his two sons. I, I, we confirm our identity by our story. You, you, you'll go to meet somebody you've never met. Somebody introduces you to them and they'll say, This is so-and-so. He lives here. Or this is so-and-so. He's the son or the daughter of so-and-so. See, our identity is often determined by our story. I say it this way. I'm a white male who grew up in a very modest family. My father had to quit school in the eighth grade because his parents were sharecroppers and the entire family had to work on the farm to make ends meet. He never made a high wage. When he went to heaven at the age of 81, he was still working and he made $8 an hour. My family wasn't educated or enjoyed worldly prosperity. That's my story. Others will say, my parents were, I came from an extremely dysfunctional family. Or I came from a family of alcoholics. Or my parents divorced so I grew up without the affirmation that a dad offers. Or I was raised in an abusive family and my story is I have the scars of that emotional and physical abuse. Here's what I've learned over the years. Many of us allow our story to define our identity. And if your story defines your identity, then your purpose, which is the other thing that makes you up who you are, then your purpose in life will always be a prisoner to your story. Let me repeat that. Many of us have allowed our story to define our identity. And if our story defines our identity, then your purpose in life will always be a prisoner to your story. My dad was an alcoholic. My granddad was an alcoholic. So that means I'm going to be an alcoholic. See, your your purpose in life, if your story defines your identity, your purpose in life is a prisoner to your story. My parents didn't have much money, I didn't have any opportunity to get a good education, so therefore my purpose in life is never going to be what I really wanted it to be because of my story. See, as long as our story determines your identity, then your purpose is held at prisoner to your story. How many times have you heard or seen someone say, Well, I really wanted to do this, but never had the chance. Or it never was made available to me. Or I didn't live in the right place. Or my parents didn't give me that opportunity. Or "I, I did this, or I did that, and I never was able to accomplish what I really wanted to accomplish in life due to where we were raised, or how we were raised, or the color of our skin, or because we were unable to do this or do that, then we think we can never fulfill our purpose. See, there's three things that make you and I up who we are. Our identity, our story, and our purpose. We have allowed our story to define our identity. And our identity, in turn, determines our purpose. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse number 18. I want you to get this this morning. Luke chapter 4, verse number 18. Notice what Jesus said. Let's read out the New Living Translation. Jesus says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to uh, proclaim that, uh, that captives will be released and the blind will see that the oppressed will be set free. Notice what he says. The Spirit of the Lord. Jesus declared his men, He declared his purpose. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he said. For he has anointed me. The purpose for my being here is to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. Now here's what I want you to see about this. Jesus didn't come to delete your story. Jesus didn't come to delete your story. Notice He didn't say, to the poor, I'm going to wipe that all away. You're never going to be considered poor again. He didn't come to delete that. He didn't say to the blind, the blind, you're not blind, you're not blind, I delete that story, you're not blind. He didn't say that. Jesus didn't come to delete your story. He came to change your identity. He didn't come to delete your story. He came to change your identity. We cannot erase our past, but our past does not have to determine our future and our purpose. See, most of us, our identity, our purpose is held prisoner by our story because we think our story determines our identity. Jesus didn't come to erase or delete your story. He came to do a transfusion on your identity. And as believers in the Lord Jesus. As believers in the Lord Jesus. Our, our, our identity is no longer defined by our story. Our identity should be defined by His story. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Notice he's not deleting my story. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God. See, suddenly my identity changes. My, my story doesn't change, but my identity changes. And since my identity changes, my purpose now can be what God wants it to be. So we've got to stop using the excuse, my parents didn't give me this. My, I didn't want to raised in the right town. I didn't have the same opportunity. I'm the wrong color skin. I didn't, didn't have enough money. We've got to stop allowing our story to determine our identity, which in turn ter- determines our purpose. Jesus came to live inside of us. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And he came to release the captive, to heal the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. See? Notice what he says. Galatians chapter 2. I have been, uh, let me read from the New King James. That's the one we, we listen to a lot, us older folk, white haired folk who don't wear hats inside the church. I have been crucified with Christ. That's just a funny, I'm not, I think it's pretty cool. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, my old man, my old man, The person whose identity was formed according to my story, my past, that man has been crucified. Notice what he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Who's been crucified? The old man. The man whose story might not be fair. Fair. The man whose story might not be blessed. The man whose story might be painful. The man whose story might be traumatized. The man's story who might not have gotten the same opportunity that everybody else did. This man whose story might not, he might not be of the right color for that city or that community or that opportunity. That old man has been crucified. He's dead. He's no longer alive. And then he says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, my purpose on earth now is no longer a prisoner to my story. My purpose is possible now because the nothing is impossible power broker lives on the inside of me. Okay? So remember, there's three things that make you up. Your identity, your story and your purpose and many of us are allowing our story to determine our identity and when our story determines our identity our purpose is held prisoner to our story but God didn't come to delete your story he come to change your identity And now you have a new identity which now makes you no longer a prisoner to your story. You become a prisoner to His story. And His story is He spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly. His story is He's been raised up and seated in heavenly places at the right hand of God the Father. That's His story. Now His story becomes your story. Therefore, your purpose can become His purpose. See? Now, Let me, when we daily face the struggles and daily keep this consciousness, then when the spirit of fear tries to invade us, we don't cower to its threats. That's what the old man did. The old man that was treated unfairly. The old man that never had an opportunity. The old man who was the wrong color skin for that time. The old man whose family never gave him the education he needed. The old man who didn't know the right people. When when, when that threat of spirit of fear comes to that old man, the old man, because he had no confidence, he had no boldness, he thought he was always below instead of above, that's when the spirit of fear attacks you. And it drives you in the corner. But you don't have to... That's not your identity any longer. Okay? We don't cower to its threats nowadays. The man who couldn't because he wasn't the right color, or the man who wasn't able to because he came from a dysfunctional family, that woman who couldn't stand up for herself because she was abused, that's the old man. It's a new net game now. I'm not fierce punching bag any longer. The old man is gone. You bullied me long enough, spirit of fear. The new man has arrived on the scene. His name is Jesus. He lives in me, and I live through him. Yeah. Now see, you got to live with that daily consciousness. See, everybody nowadays is scared of everything. They're scared to go outside. They're scared to... To, to go to the store, they're scared to come to church. They're, it's the spirit of fear. And yes, there is some things that we a healthy fear that we need to take precautions and be careful and make sure we're doing everything in our power to keep ourselves safe. That's a healthy fear. But this fear that shuts you down that changes your behavior, that changes your attitude, that causes you to stay up at night and not get rest, and causes you to have symptoms in your body of anxiety and attacks, it's time we put a stop to that in Jesus' name. And when the spirit of fear attacks us, we must by faith lean on the knowledge that God's mighty power is resident in us, whether we feel it or not. We have the authority, the a power, the right to act on God's power, and we must be, do it by faith, not by feelings. And this is what I told you several weeks ago. Here's what happens. When fear comes on you, when the spirit of fear comes on us, it, it, it is intimidating. It makes you nervous. You know what it does? It scares you. That's what the spirit of fear does. It scares you. So when you feel that, you feel that, it drives you in a corner. It seek, causes you to seek, uh, uh, seek refuge and to hide. And you don't feel no power. You don't feel the glorious dynamic power of God. Why? Because fear has, has taken over your feelings. And it's by faith that you've got to stand up to Fear. And by faith, because if you'll start to walk towards fear, fear will stop bullying you and you'll walk right through it. I learned years ago that that thing that's causing me to fear, if I would go and face it, fear will bow. But you've got to do it by faith. You can't do it by feelings, and that's where most of us miss it. We're looking for the feelings. We're looking to feel power. We're looking to feel energized. We're looking to feel not afraid. Well, listen, when fear hits you, you're going to feel afraid. But you're going to have to face that fear if you're ever going to overcome it. So the vaccine is God's power. Review finished. And since we don't have to clean the sanctuary right now, I can go ten more minutes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And the Baptists have just started their 11 o'clock service, so they're not at the restaurant. So we've got a few minutes to get you there, get you out of here and get you there. God's vaccine for the spirit of fear is number one, power, new territory. Number two, it's a concoction of power and love. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Turn it to John chapter 4. Turn over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 18. Notice what it says. Amazing passage of Scripture. There's no fear in love. Sheesh. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Because fo- fear has to do with punishment. One translation says torment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Last week, Dr. Mike Courtney passionately reminded us of the only hope for our nation during this time of unrest, and it's love. God's love in us that motivates us to love one another and serve one another. Didn't he do a phenomenal job last week teaching us the word? Amen. Amen. And the Holy Spirit tells us something really amazing. He says, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Now, this sounds really good. But we don't know how it works. Most of us. The last thing we feel is love. When the spirit of fear invades our life. When the spirit of fear hits me, I just feel scared. I don't feel no love. That's the last thing I feel is love. When the spirit of fear, I'll love you tomorrow. I'm half telling that out of here. See, the first thing to understand is the love of God, the agape love of God, is not a product of feelings. Let me, let me. God's love, God's love. Agape love is not an impulse based on feelings. It does not run with natural inclinations. Nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. You know, we have family. We love our family. We love most of our family members. Why? Because they're family. It's not hard to love your kids. Well, some days it is. But when they're little bitty and they just, they're just they so innocent and precious, it's not hard to love them. When they get to be teenagers and wreck your car, then you really have to walk by faith when it comes to love. But, but God's love is not based upon because we're family. And it's not based upon because we have similar interests. And it's not based because you like me, therefore I like you. It's not based on that. God's love is nothing like that. The agape love of God is unconcerned with self and concerned with the greatest good of another. And here's here's the difference between, you know, a lot of people say, what's the opposite of love? Well, hate's the opposite of love. No, it's not. Hate is not the opposite of love. Fear is the opposite of love. Fear is the opposite of love. Fear, listen to this, fear feeds an obsession with self. When we are consumed by the desire for self-preservation and self-vindication, we inordinately fear the things that threaten these goals. God's love in us is the exact opposite of an obsession with self. Agape's love's highest priority is not self, but others. Therefore, love or fear loses its hold on us. See, I'm not talking about romantic love. I'm not talking about eros, sexual love. I'm not talking about phileo-brotherly love. We're buds, we're brothers. I'm talking about a God's love that's only inherent in God that you don't have to work for it, earn it, please Him, or do anything to get it. He just loves you with an everlasting, unending, never-tiring, unrelenting love. Yes. Amen. And the Bible says if you can grab hold of the understanding of that love, then you'll never fear. C.S. Lewis said it this way. He's one of my favorite authors. Anybody ever heard of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis said it this way, perhaps if we focus less on stamping out the objects of our fear and pay more attention to contributing to the good of others, we'll find that fear and anxiety, alcohol and drug abuse, poor mental health and social discord will abate. In other words, when we fear what we've done, we've given in to the protection of self. And the Bible says when we walk in love, we just really not, we're not too overly concerned about self. We want to make sure somebody else is going to be okay. See, agape love far exceeds romantic love or even brotherly love. Agape love is a divine love, Now, get this, that can only be manifest in your life because God, who is love, dwells in you. You can't work this up. You don't work agape love up. It has nothing to do with how pretty she is to have agape love toward her. Agape love says, I love her, I don't care what she looks like. And many times in my life, my wife has exercised agape love toward me, regardless of how I've acted, or regardless of how I've looked. Of regardless of what I've said. She's exercised because the, there wasn't no romantic love there. And I know I'm a stud muffin, but there's a few days, there's a few days that Matthew McConaughey probably had me beat. Just a couple of days. See? So it was a God's love working in her for me. Once again, just like the ingredient of God's power can only be activated by faith, the ingredient of God's love is only activated by faith. When the spirit of fear attacks, the last thing we feel is love. We feel threatened. We feel frightened. We feel panic. We feel extreme nervousness and anxiety. So we must understand this verse of Scripture. This has got to be your verse when you're dealing with fear. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. Verse number 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 16. Look what it says in the New Living Translation. 1 John chapter 4, verse number 16. It says, we know how much God loves us. Now let me ask you a question. Do you really know how much He loves you? Is it a revelation to you? Is it an understanding that you breathe and live and quietly know every single day. John said, we know how much God loves us. And we've put our trust in his love. See, when you give in to the spirit of fear, you put your trust in, in all the things naturally that tells you if you do this, you won't get, this won't happen to you. But when you put your trust in the love of God, you, when you know how much He loves you, you just put your trust in Him. You put your trust in Him. See, love cast out fear. I saw this uh, years ago. I'd read this verse for years, preaching it as a young preacher boy. And, uh, I, you know, you can read anything in the book and preach it and make it sound good. Honestly. But I never I didn't really I knew in my heart I, I don't understand there's no fear and love. Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love cast I, I knew that theory, theory in theory, but how does that work? Perfect love cast out fear because when I fear I don't feel no love. See I, it's all on feelings. I had a couple come to me years ago and they said, Pastor we have an 11-year-old boy, and uh, he's, he's, he's dealing with fear. I said, well, okay, uh, bring him in here. We'll pray for it. He said, well, you've done that. I said, oh. And uh, he said, but he's, to the point it's growing. I said, what, the fear? He said, yeah, the fear is growing. Now he won't, he won't even sleep in his own bedroom at 11. And I said, well, just threaten him, lock the door and make him stay in there. (laughs) See, that's the way I was raised. But see, fear is not overcome with intimidation or threats or condemnation. Those come from the same author. See. Uh, And they said, uh, in fact, now... He makes us turn all the lights on in the house at night. I said, well, just give him a break, and when he goes to sleep, turn them off. He said, well, he'll wake up, and then he goes and turns in all of the lights. We wake up in the morning, and all the lights are turned up. Says he says he, he, he won't even come in from the garage in the dark at night and go in the house. And says, it's, it's really starting to be a problem. And, you know, can I tell you, as a young pastor, I I didn't have... I said, well, there's no fear in love, you know. I I knew it theoretically, but I said, well, I'll pray for you. You Can I tell you something? Can I just be real transparent with you? When a pastor, all he says to you is, I'll pray for you, you know what he's saying? I really don't know what you're dealing with here. I don't have no experience with that, but I can't help you, but maybe God can. That's literally what he's saying. And he's being as honest with you as he can. And, and he's turning to the one who can. So, so I said, well, I'll pray for you. And, and I did. I didn't know what else to do for him. I prayed for him, put it on my prayer list. Prayed for the little fellow. It was about three weeks later, we was at a church social. And the mom and dad cornered me. And uh, they said, we've got to tell you something. I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go. They said... Uh, You're not going to believe what happened. I said, what happened? said, you know, um," she called her husband's name, said he had a birthday. We're going to have a birthday party for him on a Monday night, just just our family. And our son, the one who was bound by fear, uh, who was scared of the dark, wanted to get his daddy a pocket knife that him and his daddy went and looked at when they were out just looking one day. And his daddy said he... Like that pocket knife in the cabinet. And, and our boy remembered that and he asked me if he could get his daddy that pocket knife. He took his allowance money, had been saving it, and he wanted to buy his daddy that pocket knife. And uh, I said, Sure, you can. So we went to the store on Saturday, birthday parties on Monday night. We went to the store on Saturday. His daddy was working that morning. We went to the store and it, I let him spend his money. He bought that pocket, pocket night for his day. He was so excited. He wanted to give it to him Saturday night. I said, no, it's the birthday party's Monday night. He wanted to give it to him Sunday so he could take it to church. He said, no, the birthday party's Monday night. So he just, when can I give it to him? He said, we well, can give it to him on Monday night. He said, on Monday night, me and him are at home waiting for Dad to get there. And uh, it's already dark outside. And Dad pulls into the garage in the dark and we're inside, and when he walked from the garage into the, to the house, through the kitchen, we're there with the candles on the cake lit and, and some stuff on the walls. And we happy birthday, happy birthday. And he said, we, the dad was surprised, and he was shocked. And, and uh, all of a sudden, I said to my son, I said, give your dad your present. And he looked around on the table, and ran back to his bedroom, couldn't find it, came and said, Mom, where is it? And she said, immediately I remembered that we'd left it in the car. (laughs) And the car was in the driveway, and the car was in the dark. And said, before I could say, I'll go out and get it, he ran out the front door, ran out into the dark, jumped into the car, got the pocket knife, came back in with a smile on his face and handed it to his daddy. And she said, immediately I looked at him and I said, you went out in the dark. And he said, big eyes, yeah. And she understood that love for that daddy overcome the spirit of fear. See, Love cast out fear. It was no longer about the little boy protecting himself from the boogeyman. It was about extending and expressing his love for his father. And that love drove out any self-preservation he had for himself. See, love cast out fear. Do we really know how much God loves us? Last question, are we fully convinced that nothing dangerous is going to happen to us without first his warning or either him making provision for our protection? Are we fully convinced that nothing is going to really happen to us without first his warning us or second him making provision for our protection? protection you You say well pastor i i need to grow I, I, i i don't i don't i know he loves me i know he died on the cross for me i know he died for my sins i know he i know he loves me i know that theoretically but how can i get that on the inside of me that it becomes my motivation it becomes my foundation how can i how can i be John said, do you know, the King James says, do you know and understand the love of God? How can I get that? I I know it. I've heard it preached. And I know he loves me and he died for my sins. I know that. I know that. That's all out here. But how can I get to the point that I'm so convinced of his love that when fear attacks me, I can say, let her come. God's going to take care of me. I remember. I remember Amanda and I was preaching in in uh, Falun, Sweden. We were preaching in Falloon, Falun, Sweden, and uh, we flew into what do we fly into the main the main city in uh, Switzerland, and then from Switzerland we flew over to Sweden, and the the plane from Switzerland. Flying from the United States to Switzerland was a jet, big old jumbo jet. But then when we got on the plane in Switzerland to go to Falun, it was one of these 12-passenger prop planes. And it's a blizzard outside. And I get on that thing, and fear tries to hit me. I've seen too many movies where people hit snow-covered mountains. And they find their frozen body 32 years later. Y'all seen those movies? And fear tried to hit... And you know, all of a sudden, I just, I gave in to love. As that thing taxied off and it started to lift off and the wind's blowing and that thing's doing this... I said, Amanda, let's lean back and laugh. God's got us. If He doesn't, we're no good anyway. We're going down. But He's got us. Let's just enjoy the ride. And guess what? We're here today. See, there's no fear in love. How can I get this? How, How can I get that love in me, Pastor? How can I get it in me? let me show you what I do every single day. Because during this COVID thing, that love hasn't been there a lot and fear's tried to get on me. So let me show you what I do every single day. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 14. It says this, Paul's talking, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom the every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Verse 60. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, Every day of my life, since the early 80s, I've prayed this prayer for myself. I like to read it in the Living Bible. It says this in the Living Bible. When I think of the wisdom and the scope of His plan, I fall on my knees and pray to the Father of all the great family of God. Some of them already in heaven and some of them down here on earth that out of His glorious unlimited resources, He would give me, Eddie Turner, the mighty inner strengthening of His Holy Spirit. And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in my heart, living within me as I trust Him. May my roots go down deep into the soul of God's marvelous love. And maybe I, may I be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high His love really is. And to experience this love for myself, through it, it is so great that you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God. Himself. See, I came up in a tribe that God loved you if you wore the right thing. I came up in the tribe if God that God loved you if you said the right thing. I came up in a in a in a in a tradition that if you didn't go to certain places, God loved you. But if you ever ventured there, He stopped loving you while you were there. I came up with a works mentality. That God's love was totally conditioned upon my behavior, my thoughts, my words, my actions, and my motives. It wasn't until I went to a Presbyterian seminary in Memphis, Tennessee, that they gave me the revelation, they opened my eyes to the revelation that God loves you. Regardless of what you say, regardless of what you do, regardless of how you act, his love will never, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. And you act right and you do right and you go right and you think right and you talk right because of that love, not to benefit, not to get or to earn that love. And the Bible says that the love of God, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, has been poured into our hearts. You have inside of you the vaccine for the spirit of fear, love, power, and love. Because Jesus dwells in you. Stand with me, would you? That's the only good thing the Presbyterians taught me. But I got that. You're here this morning and uh, I'm supposed to pray for the sick here. We're going to dismiss, but I'm supposed to, if you're sick in your body, I'm supposed to pray for you. So I want to pray for you. So I want you to know if you're sick in your body and you don't mind hands being laid on you, we we'll just come up here and Amanda and I and Pastor Bryce and Sarah, we're going to lay hands on you and pray for you. But if you're here this morning also and you're struggling with your identity. And you're struggling with fear. Or maybe you're here this morning and never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you would like to. You've never personally invited him into your heart. You might know about religion. You might have family members who are Christians. But you've just kind of stayed on the edge and watched. But something's been pulling you to Christ. Something's pulling you. And you know now's the time to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you'd like to pray and ask Christ to come in your heart, I'd like to pray with you right now. We won't make a big deal of it and embarrass you or anything. Just lift your hand. Just lift your hand. Anybody here want to pray and ask Christ to come in their heart? Anybody here? Pastor, I've been waiting. And now's the time for me. Anybody here? Alright, if you want prayer for any other thing after we pray this prayer of dismissal, you come and stand up here. Our ushers will help you and, and we'll, we'll just pray for you one at a time. If you're visiting with us today, take that little connection card. It's in the back there and, and take it right back there to that table right back there in that back corner. Uh, your right back corner and there's a young man back there and his wife and they'll be happy to give you a special gift our way of saying thanks for coming for those of you who live to this your church home don't forget your church when it comes to your tithes and offerings today as you leave father no evil shall befall these precious people this plague of coronavirus it cannot come near them to their children their grandchildren their home their work and father the angels of god encamp about them to keep them in all their ways And they're going to be blessed and highly favored this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.